what would be possible if you could dream as larger than life and what could what could you achieve if you didn't feel like anything was holding you back and I think as women as humans we often get um, held up or, or, or put a block on ourselves because we think oh I want to do that but it's just not possible or I've got this or we have this excuse mentality instead of this growth mindset mm -hmm. and as some of the best self-help people teach us that growth mindset is only as good as it could be if you take action but you have to take action every single day to making that a reality Hey Lead Hers, welcome to the Lead Her Lessons podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Gabriel. I'm a mom, an entrepreneur, and a true lover of learning. And each week, I wanna bring you along as I sit down with women from all walks of life. We'll discuss business, personal growth, health, family, and everything in between. So whether you're already a badass businesswoman or maybe you're a mom on a mission, listen up, it's time for a lesson. Hello, hello. Welcome. This is episode 008 with VP of Marketing and Brand Development for Kuhn Hair Cosmetics North America, Rachel Hoffman. Rachel is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to marketing and branding. She has over 10 years of experience developing beauty, lifestyle, and wellness brands. And not only is she a total marketing guru, she is also the kindest person. She is a true cheerleader for women, and I'm so excited to share our conversation with you. We talk about the best practices for marketing your small business or brand, ways to tailor your marketing strategy to your industry, and the most important thing you need to be doing when it comes to social media. We also dive into the blessings and struggles of motherhood, the power of gratitude, and the importance of having a growth mindset. But before we dive into the episode, I want to mention that um, Rachel was going through a tough time the week leading up to our interview. She was having to say goodbye to one of her closest friends, Naomi Ziva, who had been battling colon cancer for some time. So needless to say, it was an emotional time for Rachel, but she still sat down to talk with me and you guys, her strength was incredible. Uh, Rachel talked to me about Naomi's battle with cancer and how she would wear a different costume to each chemo session just to brighten the day of the other chemo patients. Her story is truly incredible, and so we are dedicating this episode to Naomi. To read more about Naomi's story, I linked in the show notes um, some stuff about her, so please go and check that out. She truly was the epitome of a lead her. So now, without further ado, here is my conversation with Rachel Hoffman. All right, guys, welcome back. It's another episode of the Lead Her Lessons podcast. And this morning, I'm sitting down with Rachel Hoffman. She is the Vice President of Marketing and Brand Development for Kuhn Hair Cosmetics North America. She has over 10 years of experience developing lifestyle, beauty, and wellness brands. She is a true marketing guru, but she is also a mom to a beautiful five-year-old daughter named Sila which is such a beautiful name. I can't wait to talk about how that came to be. Thanks. And um, she also dabbles in voiceover work and is also a huge advocate for helping women. And um, I've just been so blown away by Rachel and I'm just so, so excited to have you on the podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much, Samantha. So I really would love to dive into 
who you are, where you came from, your background, and kind of the journey you took to get to become the vice president of a huge company. Uh, thank you. It has been quite a journey. I started off um, going to school for radio broadcasting in Chicago. I grew up in Chicago in the suburbs, uh, had a great network of amazing influential people, of course. And my mom is a wonderful woman and always kind of pushed me to just do what I needed to do. But nothing was ever structured. And I got into radio broadcasting um, because of my love for music. I started DJing actually very early on, back when I was uh, 18 years old. I uh, bought my first set of turntables and was really moved by the electronic music scene um, from an early age. So really good to um, have that kind of as the foundation. I, I went through some trauma when I was in my later teens and looked to music to pull me out of that. It was my therapy. And so kind of parlayed that into the natural progression of radio and thought there was a real movement there. Turns out you can't make a whole lot of money in radio these right. days. Uh, so my foundation and, and, and that education was, was really just setting me up for um, uh, to, to help get the music out a little bit more and in a more structured way. Um, but as things happen, um, I, my, my path took me to many different states. I ended up leaving Chicago and uh, moved out to Colorado, spent some time snowboarding and really, again, still playing records. But um, the path kept weaving and I spent some time in California, really trying to figure out what my next step was. Um, How old were you around this time? This was my early 20s. Okay. Yeah. I was on, in, in Colorado, I was on the radio for a while, so I actually made that work. Uh, awesome. I was on a syndicated radio program called The Bee Parlor and was on a uh, uh, adult contemporary kind of classic rock radio station. I did the, the nights there, mm -hmm. Monday through Friday. And nights, it, what's that like? It, well, nights meaning like the six o'clock to 10 o'clock right. uh, late night drive time. Um, used the, the, power of the music to kind of carry me through the, all of that and was doing a lot of soul searching then. Of course it had it that I went to be in Atlanta for a guy and a job that I was trying to look after and, and neither one of those worked out so I got a better job and way better guy. Right. <laughs> Upgrade. <laughs> and stayed. Yeah. And it actually took me to some, some work in the nightclub industry because of music and DJing uh, and really loving the operations of um, putting on events that started to create my interest in, in more in that capacity and, and, and the production mm -hmm. of producing events. And um, took a job in a nightclub and one thing led to another and the nightclubs got bigger and busier here in Atlanta and we, um, I, I started at this place called 1150 and at 1150, it was kind of the, the one place that you made these magical experiential type, um, memories for people. And we were always trying to recraft the night and the experience into being something bigger and different and more buzzworthy and something to talk about. We were always searching to create something that made it so you told your friends in the morning. Mm -hmm. It was the true essence of experiential marketing. And so that was around the time that um, social media hadn't quite started yet, 
Um, we were still trying to figure out how to send group text messages, uh, <laughs> you know, um, and on the beeper, <laughs> on the right. flip phone, exactly, and using hashtag symbols, not as hashtags, but as like interesting ways to communicate the date, the time, the password to get in, VIP, and and so you really just um, we experimented a lot with different quote, marketing tactics to keep relevant in the ever-competitive world of nightclubs and party nights, right? And so I still got to play music, DJ, of course. Um, happened to meet my husband at the, at the time was my boss. Oh. And um, I, was the, um, I went from running VIP and um, selling bottles and making a lot of cash to being more on the marketing side and became the director of operations of that venue. And over the course of seven, eight years, we had a lot of fun, a lot of memories, um, and in, wove music into experiences, into hospitality and customer service and marketing and grassroots kind of way, mm -hmm. and really had a great time doing it. And it was, I think, kind of creating those memories and those moments for people that they still talk about today. Absolutely. And um, building kind of a you know, a great relationship, obviously, with my now husband, right. and um, a whole lot of friends that are still very close today. So, so in that time, that was in, like, two, early 2000s? Yeah, yeah, sure was. So prior to, you know, the bubble and all that stuff, where people were throwing money into advertising, really, and yeah. like you said, creating those experiences. Mm -hmm. How has that evolved after the bubble and social media really expanding marketing has seen and advertising has seen such a huge cosmic shift and it still changes all the time. But, you know, from sending text messages to now, what has that evolution been like being oh, in the sure. industry? It's very fascinating. I think that's always what's drawn me to marketing. And I didn't know it at the time, but we were testing so many different avenues of reaching people and getting their attention, whether it was flyers on the car or, you know, radio spots or partnering with, um, you know, a local organization or somebody, an influencer that had reach. Um, now, of course, that's changed into, those are the early days, like as social media started to progress, you would send, uh, you know, find one or two local promoters that had a network and ask them to host a night. And so it was really that word of mouth perpetuating from, you know, text messages and, and the early days of social media and getting away from mass market where you couldn't really be targeted in your approach. Sure, you could pick your radio station, you could pick your publication and put an ad in there, but the value and we had a, was never really, really relevant and you had to think on your toes and be very in the moment and um, be authentic in your outreach because people wanted to have an experience that they were drawn to. And I think all of that has played a role into how we communicate messages from brands these days, you know. Um, that experience, actually, uh, another partner involved in the 1150 Days was uh, one of my great friends today and my former business partner, Bill Kalin. He, uh, he was always at the forefront of doing something different and powerful and evocative and 
reaching out to people. And so after the nightclub days kind of came to an end and we grew up and couldn't stay out that late anymore, right. <laughs> um, he had started a, an agency, Bill Killen Marketing, and had already started crafting the message um, and using all of his experience for major national and international brands as a marketing consultant, mostly in the experiential and the digital space because a lot of our experience had been literally learn by trial and error mm -hmm. and uh, no one taught it to us and so when the time was right I came over and joined him at the agency and we started putting together plans um, strategies really for some of the most well-known brands some of them like Flywheel, mm -hmm. uh, Exhale Spa, the W Hotels and the Starwood Hotel Group um, and had a lot of fun doing it making really making memories, making experiences, and creating loyalty among the consumer or the client that that brand in particular was trying to attract. And those um, had to be, you have to be creative in doing that. Uh, the same old thing doesn't happen week after week, and I think the experience of the nightclub days um, and having to constantly reinvent yourself not only as a DJ and as a, a female in that capacity, but also um, just as a, a venue or on behalf of a brand, keeping up, being relevant, being engaging, and always changing it up and keeping it interesting, kind of used all that experience towards um, brands that we represented you know, for year, for years, and then inevitably, uh, Kuhn, which was a client of ours. Really? Yeah. So okay. Uh, yeah, I got introduced to that brand through some mutual friends in the industry, in the in the beauty industry, and ended up putting on a, a, a renegade tour for Kuhn, who was looking for again something experiential, something that built loyalty, that built interest, that. Uh, kept the you know the beauty industry on their toes and showed their relevancy and their attention to the to the ever changing market. And I produced that tour for them, and we started to have a little bit of a a relationship. And one thing led to another, and we started dating. And it made more sense at that point for me to engage as a mom with a, a young daughter, right. uh, consistently with a, a single brand instead of the agency life, which you know can be all over the place. Yeah, it really can be. Right. And I was ready to, I think at that point, um, to make a transition into something consistent for my own family's sake. And, Absolutely. you know, my my, my, uh, my brain too. Right, because <laughs> so you're you know, having source. to multitask and yeah. think about shifting gears so many times in one day. You know, the, the thing that, the myth that humans can multitask it's no we can switch gears pretty quickly yeah but things fall through the cracks and then when you're a mom it's like on a whole nother level of yeah. multitasking I'm oh, saying yeah. that in air quotes <laughs> but uh so what was the shift from like when social media really started to to explode and brands were just using social media for the majority of their advertising how did that affect and what way is that beneficial because you can really get into someone, like you're on someone's newsfeed and you're scrolling and, you know, you'll see a birth announcement and then you'll see, you know, Kuhn and they'll have... More sponsored posts. Right, right. exactly, yeah. exactly. So for people who are maybe a small business and social media is their main avenue of marketing and advertising, how is it best to use that tool? Great question. And it changes every day. But I think what stays the same is that 
true, honest, genuine connection. And when brands are being genuine in their outreach or their message uh, and true to themselves and know, you know, they know what they stand for, that translates in their messaging as long as what they say is consistent and true. Uh, Kuhn does that very well. They've been for the salon professional for nearly 100 years in over 70 countries, and they've never wavered from that. So if you are in tune with a brand, you want to know that their message is consistent and they stay true to their values no matter what, and that has to translate into social media. So know your audience, speak to that audience authentically and be engaging and be appreciative of any time that they spend engaging with you, the brand, especially in social media. So these days, you know, if, if you are a small business or growing a brand, you know, of your own or even representing an, another, I think it's important to make sure that you're making the connection between your client base or your audience on a regular basis from an authentic place. Mm -hmm. So while I no longer manage social media myself, I manage a team of very talented people that manage social media on behalf of our brand. And it's very important that our response time, for instance, and these are just some examples, there's some great um, uh, points to keep in mind. I ask that my teams respond with a 12-hour or less response time, that they respond to every single person that is engaging with any post, be it a comment, a like, a share, thanking them for their contribution or their interest in the brand. And helping continue the conversation on social media to create authentic relationships, but also genuine communication. And inevitably, all of those interactions help give more visibility to any single post or message or campaign that we might be channeling through social media. Right. As far as the algorithm goes, right? It sure. pops and it says, oh, okay, this post is getting engagement. We're going to show more of it. Exactly. The more you and your audience engage with any post, be it a click of a heart or a share or a comment, the more the algorithms of social media give weight to that piece of content or that post or that interest, that thread. And the more weight that is there, the more visible it becomes. Right. Which yep. is why it's more important than ever to, you know, help help coax that conversation and show appreciation. You know, Absolutely. people are taking the time to engage with your message be it a great photo or a slogan or a meme, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's time they took out of their day to give you a little love. You always want to give it back. Absolutely. And also you have mentioned before that one big mistake brands can make is muddling the message. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got a product and that's what you're, let's say it's a product based business and that's your main thing and then you know you've got a recipe here and you know talk to us about why that's not the right way oh yeah so I think specifically we'd probably be looking at or talking through maybe some best practices for Instagram yes right yes we've yes. had this conversation before mm -hmm. on the side and so yeah it's a great point because I think so often we are, as consumers, are watching, you know, talented, quote, brands that might be self, 
driven by an individual that's a fashion blogger, for instance, or a health and wellness blogger, a lifestyle blogger. And they've built their brand because they show the best of their world, which could include their mommyhood, Mm -hmm. their latest uh, athleisure attire that they're going to work out in their great muscles and their beautiful physique and what they ate that morning. And, oh yeah, this product that they're sponsoring. And it looks like they're tapping into every element of their lifestyle and some have the ability to do it really well the images are clean they're crisp they're so well staged that they look like that's just their casual life right and they're just la-di-da showing their beautifully staged and art you know artistic version of their beautiful life Mm -hmm. but it is all staged it is all strategically placed in order to give the best looking um perspective of what they're good at and they might be really good at being a lifestyle blogger but not for every that's not for everybody Mm -hmm. so I think when we've talked in the past we talked about you know how do you show who you are by still uh, putting the spotlight on what you're trying to sell Mm -hmm. and I think in most cases you are really wanting to uh, focus on being the the um, the authentic or the most relevant expert in your field. Mm-hmm. So if you, people are looking at you because you do a great clothing company, then yeah, you're going to show your clothes. You're going to show your clothes in a wearable sense. You aren't showing a recipe. Right, because it doesn't make because sense. Because that's not what your audience is coming to you as the expert for. Mm-hmm. Now, the brand I represent is known for great hair and the end result. We're out, actually a product company, but my clients and our the, the brand's clients want to see the end result, which is beautiful hair, not what does the package of the product look like. Mm-hmm. And so on occasion, we pepper that in so we don't lose sight of we're a product, we're a manufacturer, right? right? And we have to make sure that our product looks good on your shelf as it does in your salon, as it does in your back bar. And yes, there's a bit of that, but we want our users want to see the end result from the product. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, you know most brands have to figure out what, what, what it is that they want to show their end result and stay in their lane to continue to show why and how that's important. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's that's just when it comes to product. But if what you're really good at is a, a certain diet plan, then stay the course with that. Or, you know, you're really great at uh, Atkins or uh, paleo or keto or something like that, and you, you stay only with those content pieces. Because at the end of the day, the users, follow, you follow people that you want to gain a nugget of knowledge from or be inspired by. Mm -hmm. And if you're not giving something to your audience in every crafted post and message that you do that could be a a key tidbit or a takeaway or a nugget of knowledge, then you're doing it wrong. Right. You know, you become unrelevant and then people start to engage less and then you're not that trusted, authentic uh, source. And what about tracking? Like real, I think that's something that, when you're starting out and you're so focused on getting the content out, how important is it to go back and analyze what worked and what didn't? Great question too. I think that these these days you can do a number of things to, to pay attention to the analytics or 
the response that you got on any number of things. And we do it all the time because we're constantly looking at the social media metrics of any particular post, month over month, day over day, campaign after campaign. Um, but for the average person, especially a small business or young entrepreneur, uh, is it's important to see what are people looking at you for? What are they engaging the most with? And it's good to review, again, going back to Instagram, there's, um, you know, you can pop up the analytics or the views, the history on any one, the performance on any one post. Now, you can only really do that if you have a business account. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of back and forth whether at what point you switch over to a business account from a personal account, especially if you have a lot of followers and um, you don't want to see the insights necessarily. But I think the insights are now more important than ever. If you go back and you see uh, a product shot didn't perform quite as well as the hair shot, for, for instance, mm -hmm. you know you need to do more hair shots and right. less of that. And so it's still good to have that diversity, but know when to limit it to make sure that you're just creating um, the full picture, mm -hmm. but also engaging your audience in a more in a more accurate way that they want to see. Right. I think it's hard, you know, with social media, it, you know, it varies because you're running a huge brand and so you're not necessarily going to be getting caught up in the numbers, but if you've got something that's on the smaller side, it can, you can get into this hole of getting so caught up in the numbers and, and then you're reanalyzing everything. At what point do you have to, you know, I think at what point do you have to differentiate from what's authentic to you and what is working? Mm. You know, I think that you can't take social that seriously. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think truly we, we all can get caught up in the numbers game, whether it's uh, your P&L <laughs> in your books or it's on social media and the metrics and analytics there. But it moves so fast. Mm -hmm. It can and, and, and people's attention span is so short and so limited that if it feels true to you, uh, then that that's what you need to stay the course on. If that, you know, I, I think it's everyone's perspective anyway. So it's it's at liberty to be challenged, right? So if in your perspective that is true to your brand, then you stay with that. And the audience that will follow will be true and know that, that that's true to you. I think anytime you see something, oh, I shouldn't have posted that, that didn't really get the response. And when I go back and look at my overall Instagram profile, you know, that doesn't really sit with the overall format or layout and aesthetic that mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I, I want to see. And you can always archive that picture. Right. You know, you can take it, take it down and no one's going to miss it. Exactly. Um, you know, and if it comes to Facebook and you are feeling this happens often, you got caught up in something that meant something to you and maybe it's a little on the political side or it's, um, you know, on... A kind of a topic that might not be that great to resonate with your brand long term or may alienate other people. And you think, well, you know, I can hide that or, mm -hmm. or remove it from your timeline or something like that. Because, it, you know, you may have been feeling something in the moment and that was true to you, but you can always go back and clean up. Absolutely. And just remembering that, you know, being authentic to yourself is one thing, but you have to remember that if you're, you're representing something and you can't let emotions and all that stuff override the overarching goal 
And if you're representing a brand and then you go on a rant about whatever, you know, that can turn people off. Sure. But at the same time, if that's what it means to you, then damn the consequences. Right. If that's your platform and that's what your audience is looking for, I know many artists, musicians, Mm -hmm. et cetera, that will stand and use their social media platform to voice their views and opinions. And that's okay for them. Right. And that might be okay for you or your brand. But just know that there are consequences with that. And if you're good with that, then that's absolutely what you should be doing. Just, you know, create a bit of a balance because there's enough out there these days that, um, you know, people want to identify and make sure that their morals and their compass aligns with yours. And so just know, you know, know that there is a a trade-off there. And that does in a way allow, you know, there's that idea of like attract and repel. Like if you're going to be authentic to who you are and those people who do resonate with that will be so loyal. Mm -hmm. I think having (laughs) followers or people who, uh, like your brand or whatever, clients who are all in as opposed to some people who are wishy-washy. I think it's better. Yeah. You know, you might have people who absolutely hate you, but if you've got those people who are super loyal. You absolutely. Know. And as long as you stay true and are honest when, you know, you've changed your mind or you changed your perspective or you've changed your brand or a product didn't work or a message, you know, to, oops, turns out I failed here because I think being honest about that to your audience is as equally as powerful to show that you're human. We're all human. So anytime you can show the weakness and the vulnerability, like Brene Brown says, right? The power of that is immeasurable. Absolutely. So shifting gears just a little bit, if someone is starting out or they have a, a limited marketing and advertising budget, where do you think is the best place for them to put their money and invest into when it comes to marketing and advertising? It depends on the industry Mm -hmm. and depends largely on what it is you're selling. So you as a realtor might think that uh, you've got to stay in a lane of people that are just looking to buy houses. So maybe your advertising strategy is with the Zillow or the Redfin or, you know, the, the apps and technologies that people are going to to look for housing. Whereas Uh, I'm in a unique situation because we are traditionally a a B2B company at Kuhn. We sell only to the salon professional, but by way of a distributor model. Mm. So similar to the liquor industry. Um, However, you can only buy our products through authorized resellers, which are salon professionals. Mm -hmm. Um, And so our message has always been to support the salon professional. And for that reason, Kuhn only advertises to industry publications that are specific for salon professionals. You don't find our product in big box retailers. So I don't have a need for our brand to be advertising to consumers Mm -hmm. necessarily, right? Um, And we hope that by educating the salon professional, they then take our message and it means something to them that we support them. They take our message to the consumer and sell the product for us because they believe in it. So our advertising is maybe a much different model than another person in a different industry. I think that being said, the most cost-effective way to get your message across these days is by far social media. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a pay-to-play market, mm-hmm. right? So depending on how big your audience is, how wide you cast your target audience net, and how many people you're trying to 
to touch in different locations, either nationally, locally, or globally, Mm -hmm. that can play a huge part of the costs involved. Uh, I know, and I've I've seen posts and campaigns perform very well with $1,000. I've seen them perform not so well with several thousand dollars. And I've seen on the same side, over the opposite spectrum, Posts do well with a $5 boost and much, much more than a $500 boost. Right. So it really, and, and that, that, that social media pay-to-play market is such an ever-changing, dynamic, um, hard-to-understand, and fast-changing environment that it's really, again, trial and error depending on your industry right. and your audience. What about uh, email subscription lists? Mm. How important is that? Because like you said, social media changes so much, especially with you know the way that Facebook's changing, how you know, you're going to see more personalized stuff and less business stuff, so it's harder to integrate into that. I feel like is email subscription lists, is that kind of a... Because you can really get into someone's inbox? Yes and no. It's interesting these days who... It's, it's almost like... We've had some jokes. Who even reads their, right. their email, email anymore? anymore? So true. Right? So many people use Unroll Me. Um, or, <laughs> yeah, right? I, I literally just went through at the new year. I said, I'm sick of getting all of I've got unsubscribe, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. And there is that fine line between, you know, you have to find the right people who really want to hear mm-hmm. what you have to say, mm-hmm. I guess. And I think that plays into what we had talked about earlier is what are you offering them? Mm-hmm. Are you giving them best practices? Is there a white paper that you're including there that helps them grow their business or learn a new trick, a new trade um, about the industry that you're supporting? Are you providing a knowledgeable piece of information in your message, in your communication every time consistently Mm -hmm. that people can look forward to? Or is it a savings-based module where you're 20% off by you know, mentioning this code. I mean, the coupon codes, look, everybody wants to save a couple of bucks, especially if they're in line with a brand or a product that you're providing. Um, So as long as you're constantly adding value to that message, I think it's, it's a relevant message to have. And it's just one of the many angles you have to use. Now, there are plenty of email subscription um, management sites out there like MailChimp or MyEmma that can do automation for you. And that automation element where is uh, it can be incredibly powerful. In fact, MailChimp I, I work with uh, for our business, so shameless plug there for them. But I use MailChimp too. <laughs> right? Uh, a local Atlanta company. But they have done such a great job of, of some key cut-and-paste tactics that help generate more interest. And so you just have to identify it and do your research there and see what works, again, best for your audience, best for your industry. But I think the, the core takeaway is to always provide value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and going off of that, you know, I heard, I don't remember where, it, if, if you want to ask your audience for something, you have to have first given them like three or four, yes. you free something yes. before you can have an ask. Yes. It's not the give-take model mm-hmm. <laughs> anymore. Or that relationship doesn't work. Right. If you are a brand or a business, you have to give, 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 and give some more before you can ask or have a completely loyal core of people that um, just want to passionately give your message. And that is far more rare 
these days. Mm -hmm. So it really takes some nurturing to find um, the right people to, to carry your flag, right? Right, exactly, exactly. Okay, so now I want to kind of dive into what it was like being a, becoming a mother when you were in, you know, the workforce. Yeah. You know, that's such a, like you'd mentioned, a cosmic shift in just outlook on life and the world. So tell me about what was it like going back to work after you had your daughter? <laughs> well, I had, I was in a really, just a, an incredible situation with, um, with Bill Caitlin mm. when I had Sila. <clears throat> You know, we we still joke about it to this day. Owning your own agency and being able to manage your time and the flexibility there really lent to a beautiful introduction to motherhood, right? right. So I had uh, not a whole lot of free time, but flexible uh, flexibility in the schedule. And we often joke about how, and you know, this is he was my very closest friend and did not mind at all me literally pumping in the back seat of the car right. on the way to meetings and presentations. Yeah, <clears throat> you do what you gotta do. Yeah, whatever it took, and bringing Sila along with us and and so there was I, I I was in a very unique and fortunate situation and having such an incredible um, business partner to support me in that mission. Mm-hmm. That's not for everybody. I don't know that I could do it like that today. Right. Um, it's kind of you know one of the considerations that's actually held me back from thinking about a second mm-hmm. is that the dynamic has changed now. Now I'm in a corporate environment where I've got a team of wonderful women at the time, at this time, uh, all, all women that are supporting um, our strategy. And for me, of course, everyone is very understanding. We're a family, still family-owned and operated brand, so that's very real, but um, it's a much different dynamic in my responsibility, and I don't know that I could give the next, uh, the same attention that I could the first time around because the circumstances were very different. But I think what is probably real for any mom is that it changes your perspective on, on life and what's important. And right now, even though the commute and the hours associated with this role definitely take me away from my hands-on motherhood, um, much more than I would probably like, it's also that I am showing her what strength and potential that she can be anything she wants to be, that the power of, of, the, of a female is unstoppable. Absolutely. And sh- I will show her in various ways, I'm sure, in her life, but right now I'm showing her that you know, she, can, she can do whatever she wants. Which is a very powerful message, especially for a little girl, mm-hmm. you know, things have changed in the landscape of, you know, what is expected, you know, we're, it's not like it used to be where the women stay home regardless. And so, but just for her to be able to see that mom goes and she works and she loves what she does. And, um, but like you said, that time, mm-hmm. how do you balance your time between work and family? What boundaries do you keep in place? So, it, it wasn't always easy. I think it took me, and I've been in this role for um, just a, two years now, and it was definitely a lot of mental um, strength and stamina. I had, I had to build quite a bit of it to get where I am today, so don't, <laughs> I didn't come out of the right. gate with this plan. But I made a dedication to myself 
about a year or so ago to say, okay, I feel like everything is just kind of unraveling, that I'm just trying to get through the day with the onslaught of information and the pressure. And if I don't take time for myself first, I'm never going to be as strong as I can be at my job, for my team, uh, for my tribe, for my network of friends, and more importantly, my husband and my daughter, Mm -hmm. if I don't take care of myself first. So I've started, you know, I get up very early in the morning, 5 a.m., hit the gym, 5.30, and I've got my hour of time in to build and better my health and wellness so that my brain can also catch up right? <laughs> and I can feel strong and literally have the stamina to get through um, these very long days and be my best self and come to the office with, you know, kind of a clear mind, ready to start the day and give my teams my best self. And then also, um, you know, I, we, I, I joked about it earlier to you on the side, but the commute is, is a bit of a bear right now. It's about an hour each way, a little bit more some days. In Atlanta traffic, <laughs> sometimes. Is a beast. But what's great about that is, you know, my husband has a flexible schedule, and he is able to get our daughter going in the morning. They FaceTime me on the way in every morning. Um, and I take that time to listen to amazing podcasts like this one right to help (laughs) also encourage me and refine my skills or teach me a new trait or bring me up to speed on the latest marketing innovation and technologies that are coming up um so I listened to quite a bit of that motivational... Um, I know we both love School yeah. of Greatness. Yes, love Lewis House, yes. School of Greatness. Jen Mazar, Manifestation Master, who's So I wanted to awesome. ask you yes. about uh, that 40-day manifestation program that you went through. Yes. Um, yeah. What was that like? What did you come out of it? Tell us about that. Sure. Jen Mazar um, I was introduced to me through a mutual friend, a very awesome mystic babe, uh, Kelly Hagen Knight, who I love and um, has a great spiritual shop here, Modern Mystic. Modern Mystic. Yes. yes. Give her a little plug there. Uh, but Jen Mazar is the queen, self-proclaimed queen of manifestation because of her ability to teach you how to open up to possibility and really tap into your intuition. I think one of the greatest lessons I learned from her program was that if you've got the intuition and the idea comes in your mind, it is just yourself, self-conscious, bringing the opportunity into reality. Mm-hmm. And your conscious needs to just pick it up and take action because the opportunity is there for you. If you've got the idea, it's just a matter of whether or not you decide to take action. Because your intuition is already tapping into what the universe says is possible for you. So that bit of powerful information really kind of changed my perspective onto uh, what are the next paths? What is what do, what do I want to do and map out my life? We all have opportunities and, and, and angles and you know routes we can take. Sometimes it's very challenging to determine which is the right one next or now. But she took me through uh, in an intimate group of individuals through a 40-day process that just really helped you tap into your big dream and to think about what you could do if there was no limit. What would be possible if you could dream as larger than life and what what could you achieve if you didn't feel like anything was holding you back? And I think as women, as humans, we often get... Um, held up or, or or put a block on ourselves because we think 
oh, I want to do that, but it's just not possible, or I've got this, or we have this excuse mentality instead of this growth mindset. Mm. And some of the best self-help people teach us that growth mindset is only as good as it could be if you take action, but you have to take action every single day to making that a reality because nothing worth getting is is get is getting it easy you can't get it easy so right. you have to take action and that whole process was just amazing I um, happened to meet a great woman who's an accountability partner of mine and now a very good friend in the process and and just an entire community of people that are talking about gratitude on a daily basis which is a practice that my family has done for years but really calling that into the forefront of your mind and your day and setting your intention for the day mm-hmm. She has a great simple takeaway that I think is helpful and I still do today even though the program is done, but you know, start your day with three priorities. What are the three things you're going to do today? And it could be take a shower, <laughs> go to the gym and yep. eat a healthy meal. It doesn't have to be, you know, set out on this wild adventure and finish your website or right. what have you. What are three simple things that you can feel like you've accomplished every day and write them down mm. and do them. Because if you're accountable to yourself, you can trust yourself, you can be gentle with yourself, and you can encourage yourself, but only you can do that. Right. There's so much to unpack <laughs> in that alone, what you just said about the accountability to yourself. Yeah. Uh, I think as women, we put so much into other people <clears throat> a lot of the mm-hmm. time that we break promises to ourselves. And I like what you said about that she told you just the small things. What are the small things? Because you think, oh, you know, I had this, that, and the other thing to do. And they're all these huge things. Like you said, finishing a website out or, you know, making a huge deal or or something. And if you can, then you feel bad about yourself. And then you're like, I'm shitty. I'm the worst. Like I can't do anything right. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, you don't want to do anything. Yeah, and I think just finding some grace and being patient and kind with yourself is way easier said than done, Mm. right? But if you can identify these three things that will make you feel like you've accomplished something important to you in that day, then that's worth every bit of it. Uh, It's got an incredible amount of power in that and then closing your day with your your gratitude what you're grateful for what were you grateful for today we have a practice around our dinner table uh, at night called our gratefuls let's do our gratefuls you know we're we're spiritual in the non-traditional sense Mm -hmm. not really a religious backed family in our house but we do have an incredible amount of gratitude and even on the worst days to end around the dinner table with are, you know, what we're grateful for. And it's a practice now my five-year-old daughter actually starts up. We'll be in, in groups or at family or having friends over and she'll say, okay, it's time to do our gratefuls. That's awesome. And, it, you know, it makes everybody at least squirm a little bit if they're not used to the process because mm-hmm. you really have to show some vulnerability again. But once you get it out and vocalize that or write it down, um, something about, you know, writing even just through the pen from your heart onto paper has incredible power 
and puts things in perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, some days she'll just be grateful for the way the birds are singing or that she started her day with a warm hug from her dad. Um, I will say the same things, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for our health, our happiness. And sometimes it's the same, sometimes it's all different, but it comes from the heart and soul and it really helps um, end your day with a full heart and some connection to, you know, something greater. Right. And if you, if you know that at the end of the day, you're going to write down or say the things you're grateful for, you'll spend your day looking for those things. Yeah. Or recalling what was really important. Even when you've had the hardest day, Mm. you know, you can say, you know what? I'm grateful for the rain. I'm grateful that I took the time to to do me today or for my yoga practice or for my conversations with Samantha or whatever it is. And I will probably be grateful for this today, you know? So I think that's important. And going back to your earlier question about, you know, how do you structure your day or how do you make time and compartmentalize and and do all these things and and try to do them well, um, that's definitely a a, a big one and it doesn't the sun sets sometimes and it doesn't always happen but when it does I mean we, we try to make make sure that that's a, a part of the plan a part of the nightly schedule the other part of that is coming home and giving my husband and my daughter just my time without the phones without the ding ding the notifications the emails um I'm kind of a zero inbox freak, right? Like I don't want to I don't go to like bed. that red no, number. No. no. A couple of things I did though, I, I removed the notifications from my phone mm-hmm. so I don't see the little red number over my messages or my inbox or my Facebook or my apps so that when I have the time to dedicate to that and give that my attention. I can, and I don't have to feel the anxiety of that zero inbox yes. like obsession. I don't know what that is. I didn't but... even know you could turn that off. <laughs> yes, you can. I'll show you. Okay, yeah. It's I in need the to settings. Know that. <laughs> turn off your notifications if you can, um, because that gives me. I can still look at my phone to check. You know, ask a question on Google that my I don't know the answer to for my daughter, and right. don't feel like oh my gosh. <laughs> I got six new emails since last time. I got to put this off my plate. Um, And I think that obsession is just some crazy habit I have to break. Um, But I try to give them that window where I'm uninterrupted and they have my full attention. Again, I'm not always perfect at it, but that is the... That is the intention, and that's that's what I hope to give to them and myself, right. make, it, make it a little easier. And setting up those boundaries that you know in your mind is a goal. You know, like you said, you might not hit the nail on the head every yeah. single day, but at least you're you've got those boundaries set up so that when the time comes. You know, you're not feeling guilty for a not looking at your phone, or but b looking at your phone while you're in front of your Wait. child. And oh, they, they notice. She'll, you know, and sometimes it's unavoidable, and she'll she'll knock the phone out of my hand and say, "Mom, look at me!" Like, and then you're just like, "Oh, Ugh, crushed." The guilt. <laughs> yes, of course, but at the same time, you know, you you, you got to carry your your job, and and that that has an incredible amount of importance on your own self worth as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's just you have to remind yourself constantly to keep those boundaries. Um, And then do the same for others, too. For instance, um, we try, again, not always perfect, but I try not to send emails to my team or other departments or other people in the organization on the weekends or after 5 or 6 o'clock at night because they don't need to hear from me. It's not that important. And if it is, I will call someone. Um, But to flood their inbox so they can walk in on Monday morning with, a whole pile of to-do stuff or correspondence, 
it's not healthy for me or for them um, as a leader. Absolutely. There's this, I just read that they're talking about passing a law that makes it illegal for a manager to require an employee to answer email when it's not work hours. Ah, that would be incredible. I think all the way around, it it helps you compartmentalize what's really important. I mean, this day and age, our phones are attached to us, the internet, our emails, every, there's a million methods of communication. And if we don't stop like obsessing and hitting people from every angle, it is, it is an, just an overwhelming space to be in. And it's not really fair. I don't think people are given enough time to slow down Mm. and process and appreciate the little things. I don't think that I I don't think that people really remember what that was like or or even do their best work. I mean, yeah. I uh, I'm I push through and because of my commute it shortens my day a little bit in the office. So, I I, I don't practice preaching this, but but I but I'm going <laughs> to preach this. It's like you can't ask your your people need a break in the day because they can't do their best work if they go on working through lunch and eating at their desk. And again, I do it, so I, I know, but I'm doing a bit of a trade-off. Right. I also leave at 4 o'clock so I can be traffic, so I can see my daughter before she goes to bed sure. or what have you. But I think that we're not doing our best when we're doing it all the time, mm-hmm. and we're not giving ourselves the break we need. And that kind of ties into something you'd mentioned to me before about the five buckets. Oh, yeah. You know, can you talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah, I don't know how or why I heard this. And it always kind of sits with me that they say if you're going to be really successful in any, you know, in, in your work as a working mom, it's a, you know, I heard this thing one time It said you can, there's basically five buckets. You can either be really good to yourself, your health you know, take care of yourself and your meditation and your wellness practice. You can either be a really good wife and really good to your husband. You can have a really strong network of friends or you can um, be really good at your work or be really strong mom. But you can't do all five. Mm. Pick three and do them really well and you'll never be able to do all five. I mean, I call bullshit on that because mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to try to do, do all, all five it, right? really well. Um, so I don't know that I totally buy into that. But I think there's something to be said if you um, can make space for yourself and create those boundaries and create dedicated time, check in with the few, the handful of, of especially great women friends you may have or great guy friends, mm-hmm. um, you know, that really will set you up to be stronger in all areas, just like dedicated time with your husband. Again, not great at it. Need more date nights. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and same, but give, when you're doing all of those things, give them all of your, all of the attention you can, and that will help you be better, I think, in all of the buckets. Absolutely. Yeah. I really want to, I'm taking a page out of um, Lewis Howe's book, and I want to just acknowledge you for, you know, Rachel, I met her through a mutual friend, and she just kind of took me under her wing and just helped me in so many different ways that you didn't have to at all. You barely knew me from Adam, and you really are just such a magnetic personality, and you have you care about people and it shows so thank you, you know much. we need more people like you in the world thank and you. I'm just so grateful to know you so thank you for taking the time to sit down with me and um 
I know there was a little something that maybe you wanted to say. Yeah, I just want to dedicate this episode to my dear friend, um, Naomi Ziva, who fought a very courageous battle with cancer and lived a vibrant and incredibly inspirational life. And there she shared her experiences with us and her in this world uh, was full of lead her lessons. So if I can continue to inspire uh, any women and, and and all walks of life and any anyone that's you know that's the most fulfilling part of um, of being here. So well on that note guys that'll do it. Rachel, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. There you have it, guys, my interview with Rachel Hoffman. If you enjoyed it and you want to hear more, head on over to leadherlessons.com or on iTunes as always. And guys, sharing is caring. Please share this episode out with your friends, and I'll catch you guys on the next one.